Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Today we have a very special guest in the Life, Learning, and Success podcast. It's Coach Bob Kamel, known as the biggest and best recruiting speaker in the country, helping athletes to get recruited for colleges. He started out his career as a high school coach at Fenwick High School, then went on to coach with Bo Schembechler of the Michigan Wolverines. After he did that for many years, he went on to coach with the famous Lou Holtz at the University of Notre Dame, a very, very decorated coach in the college level. Coach Kamel is going to be able to impart to everybody amazing motivational uh, uh, speaking over the years, but he's going to give his own motivational tips, his tips on recruiting, the very best of the best of how to get your athlete recruited, how for athletes, parents, and coaches to find the way to be the very best they can, and he's going to give us, obviously, a synopsis of his career. You'll learn from the best here on how to motivate, become the best athlete you can, and much, much more that you can apply to life. Enjoy the podcast with myself and Coach Bob Kamel. Dave Schum here with Bob, Coach Coach Kamel. For others who don't know him as Coach Kamel, the official first and last name is Bob Kamel, longtime coach with Notre Dame, uh, assistant under Skip Holt, and assistant under uh, Bo Schembecker. He was their go-to guy as their recruiting coordinator for many, many years. Uh, obviously, a uh, very, very successful program. And, and today we have him on. We're going to talk in the Life, Learning, and Success podcast uh, about some of the great things that Coach Camel has done, not just in the coaching field, uh, but in the motivational area. He's one of the guys that I've seen speak personally live that is, is frankly unmatched in motivating uh, young athletes, uh, helping parents understand more about the recruiting process, and, and really just helping people understand what it takes to succeed and what you have to do to get there. So with that, uh, I welcome Coach Kamel on the podcast. How's everything going, Coach? David, thank you very much. Uh, just uh, uh, at the top of the show here, I just want to let you know how much respect I have for what you do for student-athletes. Uh, as a coach, I don't know if a lot of your um, people that are listening will know that you actually coach high school football and then all the work you do to give young guys an opportunity to get to the next level and, most importantly, get an education. So that's off to you, buddy. Thank you very much. It's, uh, I think we have the same mindset as that if we can keep continuing to reach as many people as possible and help them get to where they want to be and be successful in life, then, then I'll feel like I've been successful. I'm sure, I'm sure you feel very similar uh, on that. I wanted to talk about... Um, you know, going back to when you were your, your playing days, okay, so uh, Coach has been around for a little bit, so we're going back quite a bit, and then I really want to cover, um, you know, all the facets that really shaped uh, who, who you are and, and and how you got to, to where you were, and, and then obviously, uh, 
you what what you're doing now to really shape that philosophy. So uh, take take me back to to high school football. Take take me back what you learned from your very first coach and the in the history uh behind that in your playing day. Well, to be very honest with you, when I was a young guy growing up in Chicago, I grew up in the inner city of Chicago. We really didn't have youth football. There was there was no seventh or eighth grade football. The football that we uh we played uh, we organized ourselves, had kind of ragtag equipment and all that, but I fell in love with the game of football early, 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 much before high school. So the first day uh, that I went to high school was the first day that I had an actual, actually had a coach. And my dad had a restaurant and a bar, and I came home from school that day, and my first day of high school, my dad said, you know, how did it go? And I, I said, you know what, I'm going to be a football coach. True story. <laughs> Excuse me. And uh, Dan J. O'Brien at Fenwick High School in Chicago, he was my freshman football coach. And I just, I wanted to emulate him. I wanted to be him. I wanted to coach football. Uh, and I'm going to come back to that, come back to full circle. So I actually played in high school and then played in college. Uh, played at two different places in college, one at Memphis State. And then um, my, my college was interrupted by, uh, uh, it, I went to the Army. And then after I came back from the Army, I played at the University of Illinois, Chicago. Well, lo and behold, uh, I was going to go to law school. And I went back to my high school to get transcripts, and I encountered uh, Mr. O'Brien, who was my freshman coach. And he and I sat down and had a long talk. And uh, later that day, I was the freshman coach at Fenwick High School. So I was actually the second freshman football coach in the history of Fenwick. I succeeded the gentleman who was my first coach the day I came home and told my dad I was going to be a coach. So my life went, you know, full circle. And God bless my dad because when I came back and he said, well, did you get your transcripts? Are you all set? And I said, no. I said, I ran into Mr. O'Brien. I ran into Mr. Lawless at Fenwick, and I'm going to be the freshman football coach. Mr. O'Brien's going to step down. And my dad, I, I'll never forget this. He just said, you know, he, he said, do you have any inkling that you'd like to coach. And I said, yeah, I've thought about it a bunch. He said, well, you know what? Go try it. That law school is going to be there, even if it's if it's next year, the year after, whatever it was. Well, I never looked back. And I became the freshman football coach, then a varsity coach, and then a head coach in a varsity. And then I went on to be a, a graduate assistant coach at Michigan under uh, Bo Schembechler, and later on coached for Bo Schembechler as a full-time coach uh, for 13 or 14 years. And then when he retired, I, I came to the University of Notre Dame under Coach Lou Holtz. So my life went full circle. I was blessed, uh, you know, to have worked for not only uh, Coach Holtz and, and Coach Bo, but the influences of my high school coach and the coaches I worked for and athletic directors when I was a high school coach. What was it that drew you to, to, to coaching football? What was it about um, coaching young athletes that really drew you to it? You know, it it was, I think, even from the get-go, it, I, I um, like I said, we didn't have youth football, but we had the uh, Union League Boys Club, which is like basically like the Boys and Girls Clubs now. And the people that were there, I'd go there every day after school. Uh, three o'clock school let out from St. Anne's School. Four o'clock I was at the at the boys club. 
the influence that those people had on my life and um, how they cared about us. I, I think that I held that mantra uh, through my entire coaching career in that I, I don't like the term player's coach because it sounds like maybe you're not as strict with your guys, but I think there's a, there's, there's a window for the definition of a player's coach in the sense that I, I loved my guys. And I always wanted to, I wanted to help them in their lives. Uh, even till this day, I, I had a situation last week where my very, very best friend in life, a retired Chicago policeman who I love to death like a brother, uh, he became ill, uh, had some heart problems. And I called one of my former players uh, who was a heart surgeon. And he's taken care of uh, my friend and things are looking up. But, Again, the, the relationships through athletics. He made the, uh, John, Dr. John Cato, who played for me at Fenwick, went to Yale and Yale Medical School. And uh, when I first, when Frank, my friend, first told me about you know his symptoms, I said, wait a minute, you can't mess around with this. I called Dr. Dominic Tedesco, who was a teammate of John's in California, and he said, you know, tell Frank to call John. So it was a whole connection of guys that I had coached that helped my friend. Uh, I I really don't go to college football games anymore. I do watch them on television, but this past week I went and I, uh, I, I tailgated over at Notre Dame where the former players tailgate, and it was, again, one of the most rewarding experiences of my life. I recruited Autry Denson to, uh, to Notre Dame. He's the running back coach there now. I recruited Mike Elston to Michigan, and Mike's the defensive line coach at Notre Dame now. So, you know, to see guys grow up, I told Autry, I said, you know, you're the leading rusher in the history of the University of Notre Dame, which he is. I said, but those rushing yards uh, fail in comparison to the man, uh, the husband, the father, and the coach that you've become. And that's the most gratifying part about, about coaching, being a part of young guys' lives. Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting. I had actually interviewed my father, who's a, a legendary track coach in New Jersey, the New Jersey Hall of Fame. I used to coach 50 years, and and you said the, the very similar thing that he said before. You know, as soon as we started the interview, I asked a similar question, a little different, but a similar question to him, and he said, caring, caring for your athletes before, you know, obviously you have to be able to teach them the techniques they need to know, and, and, and you have to understand the game that they're playing um, and all those things, but none of that matters until they know that you care. And... Um, you know, you echo the same exact thing. I, I think, I think they get lost in coaching in, in many in any sport that 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 so many coaches think that um, they they are so devout of being experts in their field, they forget about the fundamental human element that goes into developing athletes is understanding, you know, what makes every individual tick, and then you can begin to motivate them and teach them the technique that that's needed in order to be a, to be a great player. But I, I, I love that, you know, it was, it's, it's interesting because I feel like great coaches understand that's the first thing that comes out of their mouth without you ever having to to uh, explain anything to them. So I found that really, really interesting. Um, a question I have uh, for the coaches that will be listening to this podcast, making the transition from – high school coaching to college and and that process um 
how, how did you go about doing it, and 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 um, uh, you know, what would you advise to to a high school coach that says, hey, you know, I'd like to take the next step. What you know, how how do they go about doing that? Well, usually the way it happens, the avenue is to become a uh, a graduate assistant coach. Now, um, <clears throat> some of the bigger programs have what they call analysts, and this is creating more opportunities for high school coaches to get into college ranks if they so want to do so. The advice I would give is this. Check your ego at the door. Just check your ego at the door and work as hard as you possibly can. Don't take any task to be too small or below you. Uh, one of the things I remember was, uh, you know, we had 16-millimeter film, and just cutting up film and cutting up film and cutting up film and sitting in, in, in uh, uh, the graduate assistant office for hours and hours and hours. And later on, though, I never gave it, gave it much thought. I, I, uh, the fact what, what the hours were or how hard I had to work. Uh, when I was hired full-time, one of the things that Bo told me was, uh, Bob, one of the things that gave you this opportunity I'm going to present to you is not necessarily your knowledge of football because we're going to teach you what you need to know, but your work ethic separated you from other people, and that's why I'm, I'm bringing you back to the University of Michigan. So I would say just keep a work ethic and, when, and, and study as much as you can, be in as many meetings as you can, take notes, review the notes, uh, don't worry about being handed the reins to your particular position. If your work ethic's good enough and you are reliable and loyal, one day they'll hand you the reins to that particular position and you'll be able to coach that position. So I would say keep an open mind, work hard, and don't take any task that's handed to you to be below what your station is once you make that commitment. And I think if with that formula, I think you'll do really well. The other thing that I, I learned when I would, I, I was Bill McCartney's graduate assistant coach. <clears throat> Excuse me, David. And Bill coached the linebackers. And I learned a lot of defense from him. One of the things I, I did, and you know Les Miles, the head coach at LSU, well, Les and I, we stayed with the players in the dorm uh, during two days. And I would really talk to the older, the veteran players that were at the linebacker position, and I would ask them about drills, and I would ask them what was important to them, ask them what they felt made them better, ask them what they felt maybe that I was not doing right. And it, w it was amazing, and I think any coach that doesn't listen to his players I think is really shortchanging himself. So Paul Gergash and Mike Boron and Jeffrey Lee Akers, all those guys that were, at, at, you know, fourth and fifth year guys, they taught me an awful, awful lot. And till this day, I, I, I thank them and I love them. That's, that's really interesting. I, I don't think coaches do do that enough. And um, obviously a lot of times the ego gets in the way uh, of, of physically sitting down with and talking with your players and finding out what works for, for that athlete. That's a really, really fantastic uh, tips, especially for young coaches who are 
learning the game as as well as they are uh, um, coaching it. So I, I think it's a really good tip. How about now? Tell me what it was like to to I guess I'll, and I'll let you kind of run with it. Coaching with Bo Schembechler and Skip Holtz, and what were the similarities and differences between the two? Uh, both led for for those of the people who may listen to this broadcast who may not, because there are a few. Skip Holtz was for many years. That, that had coached Notre Dame, among other places, but won a national championship. Uh, Bo Schembechler was at Michigan for, I don't know, you could, you could tell me, over 30 years, I would guess. And, 21 um, years, David. Uh, 21 years as head coach and then uh, in the athletic administration. The one thing that, that between Coach Holes and Coach uh, Schembechler, now, I, I got the coach at Notre Dame because <clears> – <throat> Coach Schembechler was good friends with Coach Holtz. They had coached under Woody Hayes at, at Ohio State. So when I came to Notre Dame, uh, I had been warned that Coach Holtz could be really rough on coaches. Um, but what my, my background was so congruent with his background that went back to the Woody Hayes coaching tree, which was sound fundamentals, uh, Technique, technique, technique for each player above the scheme. Bo used to say there are no coaching geniuses. The guys that coach the best were the guys that coach technique. A player that has great technique can overcome any other shortcomings he had. And then the other thing was how involved uh, Coach Holtz and Coach Bo were in the players' lives. It, it, it was amazing how much they knew about the players, how much they knew about their families, how much they knew about them academically. I, I you know, uh, Coach Poles could walk out to practice. I went out to practice. I had I coached the tight ends, and Leon Wallace was uh, one of the tight ends. And I remember walking out to practice with Leon and Coach Holtz said, uh, "So Leon, that 400 class you have in business, how's that going?" And Leon looked at him while we were like both kind of stunned, like, "How do you know?" That, but you know what? He, those things were done on purpose. He might say, "You know what? I'm going to check out, maybe look at somebody's class list today, and hit them up with how they're doing in that class." And that's impressive, and that impresses young guys. This guy really, really cares about me. David, you coached for Skip Holtz, who was Coach Holtz's son, and I'm sure there were a lot of similarities. But I'm sure that when I say this to you. You know when a coach cares about you. You know when a coach loves you. I had one coach that I coached with at, at the college level, and I thought he was the greatest guy in the world. And one of my former players came back and uh, to campus and some years ago, and we were talking, and he said, why did you hang out with Coach so-and-so? And I said, uh, why are you asking me that? He said, Coach, you loved us. I said, well, I know, I know I did, and he loved you guys too. He said, no, he didn't. He had one thought in mind, and that was to get to be a head coach. And if it, it, he said, it, what I equated it to was, you know, there were, there were, I was one of the rocks in a stream that he could step on and get to the other side of the stream where he could be a head coach. He said he didn't care about us. All he ever wanted to be was a head coach. You can fool other coaches. You can fool the fans, uh, to be honest with you but you can't fool the players. You cannot fool the players. 
And any time a coach is a phony, any time he's uh, self-promoting, the players know better than anybody. And they also know when you love them, which to me, um, to me was like even now when guys will call, uh, Coach, I'm getting married, I want you and your wife to come, come to the wedding. Um, I'm Catholic. When my daughter Mary Pat was uh, going to be confirmed, you have to have a confirmation sponsor. She asked that to Pete Kreplevich, who was one of the tight ends I coached, if he'd be her sponsor for her confirmation, which he was. Uh, later in life, when she got married, uh, we had um, the family table. Who was going to sit at the family table? And she said she was getting married, and she said, Dad, I, I want Pete and his wife uh, to sit at the uh, at, at our family table. And uh, that is like stuff that comes back to you as you go through life. That is, it, it's phenomenal. I don't know. Um, I don't know any other profession, short of the medical profession, where where you can have that kind of an influence on a person's life. It, it's incredible the closeness that comes from from football and the uniqueness between the I think the player relationship uh, and, and the coach relationship. What what um you know you know from a a uh, coaching standpoint, what are some of the things that you think a a player needs to do in order, maybe it's habits, but to maximize his own best skill set and performance? Well, that's a very interesting question. And I really think, first of all, I mean, this, and I'm really serious. The young guy, go and tell your coach, take me and make me the best player that I can be. Make me the best player that I can be. I want to be a great player. I can't do it alone. I want you to take me and make me the best player that I can be. And along with that, that goes along with that, and take me and make me the best player I can be and the best contributor to my high school football team. So when he said, you know, you were a really great wide receiver, we need help at the corner position, you can do one of two things. You can pout and say it's not as glamorous as being a wide receiver. You can pout and say, well, our college, is this going to change my future in college? It's not. Accept that responsibility of getting a position change, and this goes to the moms and dads too. I I, I read some stuff in the paper the other day. Uh, you know, and there's so much social media, and it was, uh, I believe, a Facebook page where a quarterback was uh, didn't get the starting position, and the things that this dad said about this coach on Facebook that ended up in the newspaper were horrendous. If a parent does not support the high school coach with his son, that high school coach has no chance to make that son the best player that he can possibly be. No chance. Because what you've done immediately as a parent is put doubt in the young man's mind as to the abilities of the coach, and this gives him a license to second-guess the coach. My suggestion to a parent is if you don't like a decision that your coach has made, call him, ask him to visit with him, uh, ask him you know, to kind of explain the process. Get with him. Get close to your coach. And then, uh, David, moving, moving forward just a bit, not to get ahead of ourselves, 
your high school coach cannot get your mom and dad, aunt, uncle, grandmother, grandfather, foster parent, understand this. Your high school coach cannot get your son a scholarship. He can't get him a scholarship. He can basically do three things. Vouch for your son's character, give the college coach a transcript, and then give him his uh, DVD, his game tape. After that, when that handoff is made, the decision whether to recruit the young man or not goes to the staff room of that particular university. I love that you brought that up because um, obviously having been in this for a long time with colleges and even now you know, representing players at the NFL level, it's, it's amazing, and this happens at the NFL. People, and these are kids that in the NFL that were stars in college, the vast majority of them, right? They yes. all think that things have to do with politics, and I try to always tell people that if a coach makes decisions off of politics, then he is in a position to lose that position he has. And, and no coach who's putting his family to school, uh, putting food on the table through coaching, is going to be willing to do that unless he's instructed by the head coach to do so, which is so rare. And 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 that's, I think, one of the biggest fallacies that parents and athletes have, that they think that somehow somebody is conspiring against their own success instead of looking internally for their own success. David, I'll, I'll tell you this. When I visited with a young man and his family, and I'm, I'm not embellishing this. I'm, I'm just as a, In my heart of hearts, this is how I did business. As soon as I heard a complaint about a high school coach by someone in the family, I... I almost would close the book and say this has been a great visit. All the best of luck to you. Because if you're going to criticize your high school coach and you're going to be a problem in Paramus, New Jersey, you're going to be a problem in Champaign, Illinois. If you're a problem in Newark, you're going to be a problem in East Brunswick. And I don't want it. it, it, it there's too much to do, too much to be positive about. So my advice to any parent or young man, do not criticize your high school coach to any college coach. No matter how hard it might be to bite your tongue, it will turn on a red light. And I know when I went through that, I didn't want anything to do with that recruit. And I'm serious. I am really, really serious. And I think it kind of goes back to having been a high school coach and having known how difficult the work is. And, you know, and it, you know there aren't any high school coaches uh, retiring from Marco Island in Florida. You know, there's a lot of guys uh, working in the summer doing, right. um, you know, uh, uh, landscaping, painting houses, whatever it might be, just to keep their family together uh, uh, financially. And so you got to, as, as a college to as a, a, a parent, you got to respect that. These guys, these men and ladies are in this because they love, love the work, uh, they, they they enjoy changing lives of young people. Do not criticize your high school coach. If you have a problem with your high school coach, visit your high school coach and pay him respect. If you are an incoming freshman parent, my advice, go see that coach just 
for two minutes at school. Coach, I'm so excited my son's going to be on your, on your team. If there's any way I can help through, through as we move, move forward, uh, you know, you can count on me, and I'm looking forward to being uh, a big part of, of what you're doing. I think one of the greatest things I've read, um, it was from John Wooden, and uh, it, actually I was I was listening, it was an audio cast I was listening to. On, uh, you may have heard of this guy named Zig Ziglar, who is a oh, big, yes. uh, you know, motivation. Yes, right, absolutely. And um, Zig Ziglar talked about uh, the story about John Wooden. And John Wooden went to... Uh, a recruit's home, or like, you know, what you would call nowadays a five-star recruit, and went in and sat down with the athlete, ready to offer a scholarship, um, uh, everything in tow from, from that standpoint, to give the letter, hand it to him, everything. Already basically a done deal. But he just wanted to meet with the kid to make sure he was a guy that could fit into his program. And so he sat down. And he sat down with the young man. The young man kept ordering his mother around and giving her a hard time and um, disrespecting her openly in front of uh, Coach Wooden and um, uh, the assistant coach that was with Coach Wooden. And they walked out of there. Coach Wooden left, didn't give him the, the, the uh, offer letter, didn't give him the, um, you know, the, didn't discuss offering him. And the assistant coach asked me, he said, Coach, this is, you know, the top player at his position. He's a can't miss. And he said, if he talks to his mother like that, then he's going to bring that to me in my program, and I don't want anything to do with it. And I, I, I thought that was so profound that yes. it's lost on so many so many people nowadays because, you know, you touched on it, because of social media. I call it social media – yeah, I utilize it in a very positive way. I always try my very, and I'm not, no one's perfect, but I try my very best to always use it in a positive way to, to help enhance people uh, uh, in whatever they're doing. And But I know that the vast majority of people actually use it the opposite <laughs> in a negative way to, to bash people and, 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 and to be negative about it. So, um, I, you know, it, it, it's it's one of those things where it's so quick to hit send, but you might want to think about uh, hit and send before you do. And the same thing when it goes with criticizing your coach or, or, or even your parent because, um, you know, one of the things, and you can tell me as a recruiter if, you, if this is true, if, if a player sits down and even if it's not about his high school coach, has a negative demeanor to him, he is someone that I found college coaches, and I've sat with great players that I had to play for me. And players have said, "How come? How come I didn't get offered from that guy?" I said, "You know, I think this guy was set to offer you, but you came and slouched over. Um, your your body language was was poor. You, you, you weren't answering questions. He's giving you layup questions. He's not. You're not answering his questions. Um, you know, you dodge academic questions." And it wonder why he didn't offer you, you know. And, and obviously he already has your transcript, so why are you not? He wants to know, you know, you you have a 2.5 GPA. Your GPA is not fantastic, but you qualify to play for him. He wants to hear from you why you have a 2.5 GPA, and you dodge his question. 
you dodged his question. He just wanted validation as to what's going on, you know. But how, how, do you, how, do you, how do you think that young man should, when college coaches do come in to speak with him, how should they conduct themselves, carry themselves, um, interact with those coaches? First of all, David, and I'm, again, very serious, practice practice how you're, what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. I start out with a firm grip, look the coach in the eye, tell him that you're excited to, have to meet him or to see him again, and you're very excited about this meeting that you're about to have. Be attentive, sit up, take your cap off, leave your jewelry at home, you know, bling is great, but in certain situations. Be humble, be excited, and ask academic questions beyond football questions. Every coach wants to know that you're engaged academically. They know you can play football. They wouldn't be there. You do have a transcript. So even if you're a 2-5 or a 3-5 or a 4-5, coach, you know, I, I checked out your uh, – business marketing program, and this marketing is something I'm really interested in. They want to know that you're going to be beyond the football player when they come to their campus because no coach wants to chase guys around as an assistant coach uh, because they're not going to class. But that's a direct reflection upon the people that evaluated the young man when they brought him to campus. Did you, did you really check this guy out, Coach Camel? Do you know he hasn't been to English class in a week? You get over to that to that. Uh, that, that building where he has his English class, I want you to come back here and tell me that you know he was there. No, I don't want to go through that. I have no desire to go through that as a coach. I've got too many other things to do. Are you going to help the young man academically? Yeah. Are you going to get him tutors? Yes. Are, are, are you going to get, make sure that he's, he's prepared uh, with the tutors? Yeah, absolutely. But ask academic questions. Engage the coach. As you said, sit up, firm grip, look him in the eye. Uh, you do those things, and remember one thing, there's no second chance at a good first impression. So that first time when you walk in that room, you want to know that, hey, this is a business meeting, and, and I'm going to act as though it's a business meeting, and I'm going to do everything I possibly can to further myself as a person. And the other thing is this, and this might be way, way off base. Choose your language carefully. You mentioned this uh, that young man with John Wooden. I had a young man come into my office with his mom, and he was a senior in high school. And he looked like he could have started for the Oakland Raiders the next day. I mean, this guy was something special. I sat down in my office with him and his mother, and he started using profanity. And I'm kind of like looking at this guy and saying, your mom is sitting next to you. What are you doing? So about 10 minutes into the conversation, I opened the top drawer of my desk. I took out a map and a visitor's guide to my school. And I said, here, this, this is something that will show you how to get around campus. It will tell you where everything's at. I enjoyed speaking to you. And he said, that's it? And I said, yeah, that's it. And they stormed out. I don't want anything to do with the guy. And it's the same thing you're talking about with Coach, Coach Wood. I mean, the guy's sitting next to his mom, and, and he's, he's letting these – nasty words fly. I'm like, you know, second of all, you know, the mom should have never put up with that either. So it was kind of a two-sided sword, so to speak. Right, sure. I was I was appalled. I was appalled. I saw this kid, I'm like, whoa. 
this guy's going to be a great. And he did. He, he went on to be a great football player at another school uh, or a, a good football player. I, I can't say he always remained a good citizen, but he wasn't going to come. He, we weren't going to bring him into our football family. What advice would you give to parents in that kind of a situation? Let's let's say their 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 child is a, a great athlete, and and you know maybe they've had a hard time handling him for whatever reason. Other people outside have have uh, gassed him up, um, and 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 he himself doesn't always get some things. How, how can a parent? And it's a tough question. How can a parent? get somebody on the right track, and, and what kind of outside help do you think is, is worthwhile in that, those kind of cases? Well, first of all, lay down ground rules for the process in the family once the process begins, because the process can become overwhelming. The influence of the process on a young guy can turn his head in a lot of directions and make him think he's a whole bunch better than what he, what he is, what he is. And if the process starts to sway and get a bit out of control, get a third party to sit down with, with, with the young man, whether it's an uncle, a rabbi, a minister, a priest, a coach, whoever it might be. Solicit a third party to say, hey, you know what? You're, you're, you've got something really good going right now, and it can be something really, really great. But the way you're headed right now, you're in a collision course for failure. And unless you get this thing turned around, I'm afraid that that's what's going to happen to you. Sometimes, you know, you, there, there has to be tough love. You know, there has no, to be tough love in situations. I agree 100%. And, then, and I do know that I do know that parents have approached me and have struggled with that, you know. Um, and, and to, uh, again, I think, you know, parenting is definitely vastly different today. Uh, um, as far as how they approach things versus, you know, 20, 25, 30 years ago. But I do think certain fundamentals always apply. As a, yeah, get the, the, the son has to have respect for the parent, and it doesn't go, it doesn't, it doesn't go any other way other than that um, when, when the process begins and what the, the parent would like to have happen as far as how he conducts himself has to have that tone set by the parent. I think that's critical. Um, and then at the same time, if a parent, you know, you touched on those things, a parent himself gets out of line thinking if he's the one going to college and not and, and not the young man, um, you know, <laughs> which happens, as you know, quite often, it can happen. Um, you know, he, he thinks he's the one that's going to be the star and, 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 and not the son. Um, he, he's got to get himself in a, in a reality check. So, you know, it does does require a lot of people to be able to help with that process. Well, now, well, uh, David, David, how many times have you heard this? I know he's my son, but... <laughs> you cannot... You can't... Mom, dad, aunt, uncle, grandmother, grandfather, you have glasses on that are what I call... The love that you have for the child changes your perspective through these glasses. And I, you know, and I understand that. I had daughters that participated in college athletics. My daughter, one of my daughters who was a tennis player in college, there was no doubt in my mind she could beat Serena Williams. 
Because <laughs> I loved her. Like, that's you know, right. Be careful. Be careful. <laughs> that, 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 that's, a, that's a great, great uh, message, valid, but fantastic point in that they have to really be mindful of uh, of the fact that they are 100% biased. It's okay that you're 100% biased. You're the parent. But you have to know that everybody else is looking at your son or daughter through uh, a different lens, which more has to do with the, the ability. And uh, I, I think it's if one of the most important things that parents kind of try their very, very best and, uh, to to take themselves out of their own bias towards the process and really try to understand what's exactly uh, going on. Um, as far as the best way, and, and it's, 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 I've gotten into a lot about recruiting, the best way that someone who doesn't know anything about recruiting can get educated on the process, if you were telling someone from ground one, what should they do? Find out as much as you possibly can, get help, uh, and understand. One of the things that parents understand this, there's nothing wrong with admitting that you don't know anything about recruiting. There's something wrong about not going to get help. No, and if you haven't been through this process, if you haven't been through this process, you're going to know nothing about the process. And and it's like anything else. You want to, you know, you can buy a house, you can buy a car, you can decide to move to another state. Big decisions in your life, none, none, will be bigger than the decision you're about to embark upon if your son or daughter is about to determine where they're going to go to college. And I say this for this reason. Every football player in the country is going to be, is going to one day not play football anymore. This is not golf. This is not tennis. It's not something you do when you're 50 or 60 years old. The lifespan of a football player on the field, if they get to the National Football League, is a little bit less than three years. The last snap your son takes might be his last snap in high school. Probably, if he wants to play college football, it'll probably be his last snap in college. What happens after that? Have you used that ability, that investment, and those blood, sweat, and tears to pay for a college education that after football is over, you have a degree in your back pocket. That's what, what it's all about. But again, you know, I, 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 I'm pushing 65 years old, David. I love to golf. My buddies will call me and say, hey, you know, you want to go play golf today, Bobby? Yeah. Nobody's ever called me that's my age and asked me if I want to go on the, out in the backyard, put on the equipment, and go one-on-one. -on -one. <laughs> we don't do that. We don't do that anymore, you know. I mean, guys are talking about, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm 27 years old. I'm about done with football. I'm 22 years old. I'm 23 years old. You see, guys, right now that have made it to the National Football League, with all the aches and pains, are stepping aside from the game 
at 26, 27 years old, what is he going to do for the next 40 years? You know, it, it, so, you know, understand that you got to get that degree and that the decision is a huge decision for the family. So, David, I love this. I love this. I love this. I'd like to do this again with you. Um, uh, I'm as far as the phone, uh, if somebody has any further questions, I, I'd love to answer them. And, uh, again, your, your friendship and loyalty to me uh, the past 12 or 13 years has been has meant an awful lot to me. And not just, you know, and I don't want to say uh, minimize it, but not just you, but with, with the guys that I've worked with uh, at your, at your uh, combines and games. Um, I mean, just uh, unbelievable, unbelievably dedicated people. Uh, the coaching I've seen has been phenomenal. Uh, and, and, and the respect your guys have shown to me is a great source of pride to me. Uh, thank you so much. I really appreciate coming on. Um, and if, is there a way that people could reach you if they want to reach out and never ask a question on email or something like that? Well, we can do it through you. Okay, perfect. If they, you know, perfect. If they do it through you, and then I'll, I'll do anything humanly possible to, uh, uh, to get the questions answered. You can always find me at, at NUC Football on Twitter, and almost everybody probably has my email address, Dave, at NUC Sports. I really appreciate you coming on. If you wanted to leave one thought with everyone, what thought would you like to leave with everyone before we go? Uh, there's a couple of things that – one of the things is to manage manage the process. By manage the process, I mean don't let it get out of hand so that it disrupts the, your family life. Stay on top of the process. Do something positive every single day. Seek help. Human underclass combine, NCSA, whatever it might be. Get help. And don't be ashamed to get help. Again, when I talk to guys uh, that go out to talk about the recruiting process, I tell them to, this is not disrespectful toward the parents, but to assume that anybody you talk to knows little or nothing about the process, because that if you take that attitude, you'll be a big help to that family. Keep up the great work, David. I can't wait to see you down that recruiting road again. Thanks so much, Coach. I appreciate your time. Bye-bye. Have a great day. On the Life, Learning, and Success podcast, thank you for being with us. I'm David Schumann. Please make sure you go to iTunes and rate us, give us that nice five-star rating if you really enjoyed the podcast, and give us your comments. Every little bit helps. Uh, I appreciate you on that road and that ride to success. We look forward to seeing you next time. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.